Welcome to the Film Comment podcast. I'm Devika Girish, co-deputy editor of Film Comment, and I'm calling in from the sunny shores of Cannes. Over the course of the 2022 festival, as news of standing ovations and walkouts, raves and pans, spit takes and hot takes flood the feed, the Film Comment crew will be reporting on all the cinematic goings on at the Crosset with dispatches, interviews and podcasts. So make sure to subscribe to both the Film Comment letter and podcast and keep tuning in every day for more. So welcome to another episode of Film Comments Can podcast. It is past 11 p.m. We are in the corner of a hotel. There are no lights on because we couldn't figure out how to turn on the lights. Anyway, this is the glamorous life of a Can critic. And I have with me today I'm so excited to introduce this guest because it's someone we really look up to over at Film Comment. If you're listening, you probably do as well. And someone I've wanted to have on for a while. It's Justin Chang. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Devika. And it is I who look up to Film Comment and uh-huh. always have and um Can I say we we are living in dark times? We are living <laughs> in very in <laughs> dark times. It's actually very no. This I like this mood lighting. Yeah, it sometimes feels, it's yeah. there are two bright times here, so exactly. so it's good. It's very good. So Justin, of course, you are a critic at the LA Times, and I know that there are certain critics of a certain echelon here at Cannes. who see all the movies at 8:30 a.m. those screenings don't even show up on my schedule <laughs> and then you you know churn out these reviews at a pace unima- unimaginable to most of us so tell me a little bit about what your cam looks like what sort of you know what sort of coverage do you do yeah. for the LA Times and also how long you've been doing this yeah i mean i'm actually fortunate in that i do not have to crank them out at the demonic pace of say my friends and former colleagues at the trades who are in those 8:30 um 11:30 screenings every morning I probably shouldn't be saying this cuz they might take my special badge away because like give it to somebody who uses it but no I no, I've been doing they're not going to do that <laughs> <laughs> I hope not if they're listening um and I hope they are but um I I don't so the deadline pressures are way off compared to what I used to do when I first came to Can which was in 2006 so uh yeah that was like 16 years ago was my first time Wow Cannes. okay I was um baby critic at Variety at the time and so um and I <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful those days are behind me but there's nothing quite as just nerve-wracking and also exhilarating as just jumping into the deep end and having to turn those reviews around on really really tight deadlines for for print dailies you know which still exist you know and they're still doing them here and it's great to have them but yeah and then since 2016 when i've been coming for the LA times um still writing a lot but it's definitely um the aim is just to provide our readers with you know what what they what to look forward to and what it's and to give some sense of what it's like to be here at the 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 most uh the most important film festival in the world as as they you know probably rightly like to think of themselves and so i mean it's great to be here i mean i wasn't here last year for the first kind of mid mid covid edition but um so but this is the year of the, the great return the saliva edition as i like to call it <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the spit PCR, test the spit tube edition yeah, yeah. so <laughs> i actually wish that they were still doing i i know it was a 
uh, an encumbrance and and I know but it's a free for all now it, it is you yeah. know I'm still we were just talking about this I'm still I'm double masking in theaters and I am like the only one apart from the other few <laughs> Americans really. right I mean so it's like sometimes I feel like this mask might as well just be a massive sign attached to your face that says <laughs> I'm an American <laughs> that's <laughs> so. true the Europeans seem to have completely moved past it uh, I mean I caught COVID in Europe at a festival last oh, month oh, where oh, yeah that's when I realized, wow, these people are living like there is no COVID. Um, And hopefully it's, you know, you hope that they're right and that it's not so, you know, that it's not really spreading among the crowds here, but there are, the crowds are in full force. And it's, uh, you know, when you're, we're sitting shoulder to shoulder in these screenings. I mean, another thing too, why I I do like going to those, the the privilege of going to those early screenings is that they, in the Salle Bazin, which is one of the smaller, um, one of the, if this makes sense, one of the smaller big theaters in the Palais. Yeah, wait, but I have been to the Bazin and yeah. the smaller, it's <laughs> compared to the Debussy, <laughs> Compared I guess. to the Debussy yeah. and, the, and the Lumiere for sure, but it's yeah. it's bigger than, you know, what a Palais J or whatever it is called. Yeah. You know, the different, this, those are like super, like there's like two rows yeah. of seats, but but it's nice because it's just, uh, it's a little more spread out and there's not as, they're not as packed for the most part. Um, although the screenings that we, caught today like of the Park Chan-wook and the David Cronenberg films um, were you know because there was a lot of excitement for those movies I think there were a little they were a little bit more packed yeah and uh, in terms of your coverage do you you know what sort of movies are you choosing to write about what do you have to keep in mind in terms of the parameters uh, of your audience yeah I find it both a relief and and a little frustrating that I am only able to provide a very little taste of what I'm seeing here um, I am very heavily competition focused because that is where a lot of, of course, you know, a lot yeah. of the mainstream LA Times reader interest lies. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm very happy, proud to be a member of the, the, the Screen International Critics Grid Jury, which means I'm on the hook to see everything in competition regardless. So, I mean, I could not do that, but it's fun to do those, those grids and it, you know, you have to give star ratings right away and it forces you to commit to something, which is my least favorite thing to do, but I think it's good discipline for me, um, rather than just... You know, I don't know, Devika, what your experience is like. You know, you're kind of like, oh, I don't know. You just kind of <laughs> look around. It's like, what, is, what does so-and-so think? And, <laughs> no, today yeah. <laughs> I have to say, um, there was a movie that I saw. I walked out immediately. I won't name it. <laughs> and the publicist was right there. And you know how publicists are hovering in the corridors being like, what did you think? Mm-hmm. And I immediately said something. And then I ran into someone who said the opposite thing. And yeah. then I thought... I, yeah. Do I actually mean the thing I said to this publicist? And what if that ends up in a file somewhere in this publicity firm's office? No, it probably will. But, you yeah. know, and then it'll be hopefully forgotten. But no, I yeah. mean, that's why. And I I tend not to give reactions even, I mean, unless I'm, it's usually when I love something and there's just no doubt in my mind that I do. But but it's always just so, yeah, this is, and this is what this festival, I think, more than any other Every festival has that, but I think can uniquely breeds this kind of second-guessing syndrome, this kind of, because people are so passionate and so f- clear about what they think. And me, I'm kind of more of a, you know, chin stroking, cogitating kind of like give me, give me, and give me a few hours. To yeah, think. Or I, in, I'm, I'm the same. The yeah. same way, and or this was what was useful actually about for me going back to my computer and just writing because a lot of times it is through the writing that I that I figure out what the hell it is I think about what I've just seen. So, but yeah, in terms of the parameters of what I'm doing, it's like I'm. I'm doing I'm doing critics notebooks basically f- f- structured around a few films um, that are playing and um, I'm doing like a few interviews not not a ton um, I mean I just you know cover the awards do some things you know so you know so just kind of you know opening middle and and closing so yeah all the way through basically well 
I'm sure listeners will look forward to all your writing that is still to come. Uh, so let's talk about a movie that you spent a lot of today writing about. Yes. This is actually a rare one that I actually did turn around review. I hesitate to say super quickly because I actually did <laughs> I actually did see this movie before the festival. Yeah, as did I. Yeah. yeah. This is um, David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future, his... Um, I think very good film that was very, you know, much anticipated because it's his first movie in like eight years since uh, Maps to the Stars, which right. I remember seeing here at Cannes back in 2014. And then, um, and so it's it's a real return to, you know, arguably to form, but also just to filmmaking for him. And so I'd seen it before the festival and I wasn't sure if I was going to review it, but then I realized, oh, it's opening very soon. In theater, right. So I just, so I, I went and saw it again this morning, which was great because as with so many of his films, it's very heady. It's full of, um, it is full of fascinating ideas. It's and thick, as I like to think of it. It's very thick. <laughs> the imagery alone is just a lot to grapple with. And so I was very glad to not have to just subsist on a single viewing. Yeah. As we are talking, the premiere is underway, so which is exciting. So right. it's it's the embargo is going to lift in probably mid mid podcast mid conversation, and then we'll <laughs> see where we you know align we... with with the uh, consensus. But so yeah. you know, it's interesting. I also saw it uh, in New York, and uh, we were just talking about you know quick reactions and you know how to work out how you feel about a film here. When I got out of the theater in New York, yeah. I was underwhelmed. Yeah, and that's a, I was like. This was kind of undercooked and it sure. ended way quicker than I thought it, it would. And I, you know, and then it's just been growing and growing and growing in my mind. Like a tumor. Like a tumor. <laughs> like, a, like, an, like, like a superfluous organ. organ. <laughs> like exactly. a work of art. <laughs> <laughs> Which, as you, know, uh, you know what the movie's about, that's a very fitting. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. Yes, no, go uh, on, no, totally. Uh, I, we, I you do have to bring your pun game onto this <laughs> podcast. This is a condition oh, of your participation. Uh, I didn't know. Your oh, famous so, fun game. Oh, thank you very much. I'm so bad on the fly. Forced to perform on the fly, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see where it goes. Okay. <laughs> but you know, yeah, it kept it kept growing on me, and I also revisited some of, some of his past work in preparation to you know write about the film or talk about it here, uh, particularly Crash because it seemed like the most obvious uh, precursor, and it it became even richer for me because some of the past work. Of course, it's possible because it's in retrospect and uh, a lot of years have passed and some of the things he did then don't seem as novel now. But they seem now simpler than this film. So even with the film's shortcomings, I thought that intellectually it was so much richer in this continuum of his filmmaking. It's a very conceptually complex film. So maybe we we should say what it's about. Yes. I mean, this movie is set in some... You know, not so distant future, um, and it's set in a very, you know, kind of a colorless, sort of grim world. The movie was shot in in Athens, uh, in Greece. So, um, and uh, Viggo Mortensen plays uh, Viggo Mortensen and Lea Seydoux play uh, a couple who are also uh, performance artists. They are professional, and and it's you know assumed uh, you know uh, personal partners as well. And but love and art and pleasure is all blurry art. here. It is blurry, and it's yeah. and their performance art consists of mainly uh, the Lea Seydoux character Caprice performing surgery on live surgery um, during these demonstrations shows for the public on Viggo Mortensen's character um, Saul 
Tensor. Saul Tensor. The names in this movie are great, too. They're like, <laughs> so specific. Names yeah. Like, you know, um, and Kristen Stewart plays this character named Timlin. It's just the name. <laughs> Chronicles <laughs> of the Narnia kind of name. Yeah, yeah. It's like really, really, it's true. It's yeah. like there's kind of a. Uh, it's just it's it's the movie is very funny. Before I say anything else, too, it's really it's, it's extremely dark and 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 frightening at times, and very very funny. I was just cackling the second. I, it was funnier even the second time this this second viewing that I had, and and so the movie is set in this future where you know environmental catastrophe looms. You know, sounds familiar. You know, but also and it has actually started to affect in ways both subtle and not so subtle the inner the interior like biology of the human race among certain people and so and meanwhile physical pain is no longer really a thing um and so people are like mutilating themselves and performing surgery on themselves in the streets it's kind of like and there's this one of the many kind of signature lines in the movie is surgery is the new sex so it is sort of become like surgery has be taken the part of of sex of sex work of entertainment um and it's and it becomes this sort of moral and political um, and environmental kind of ideological playground for this movie right. to kind of roam through. And um, and Caprice, uh, Leo Seydoux's character, you know, considers herself very much an artist. And it's like, it's about, you know, she's like, as she's using this like fleshy, like video game console, which reminded me a lot of like the consoles in Existence. Yeah, yeah, Cron- yeah. Cronenberg's movie, an- an- one of, an- a- like Crash, another touchstone for this movie. Um, she is like using them to operate these mechanized scalpels and probes that are like probing, you know, uh, Saul's body. And there's this really, it's, I, I love those scenes because they're both really kind of, you know, grotesque and sick and really kind of sexy and kinky too at the same time. And there's like really like, there's clearly like he, and it's, there's this, the gender dynamic even, because he's kind of like, he's enjoying the sensation of being like probed and penetrated in a way that is, you know, it's just, it's, it's very funny and it's very, and you know, Cronenberg who can just, I think, bring that, the sensual and the erotic and the grotesque and and the intellectual together in a way like nobody else can. Yeah, and, and those scenes, you know, he's, his body's placed in these uh, specially designed, sort of remodeled, I don't know what to call them, they're like, they're c- like, well, they're like, I, I think they're mentioned like they're sarcophaguses. Yeah, sarcophaguses. But they're also like, repurposed autopsy tables that yeah. are not, and and they're named something I think they're called like Sark table whatever there's just yeah and there's some the some kind of company yeah. that that makes these and what I really liked about it is that so a lot of these things feel a little unexplained which is what at first you know I thought was maybe a weakness of the film sure. you know it just kind of throws you into this world and doesn't really set all the premises down but what that adds to the film is the sense of assumed history so you know i mean this company that makes these uh, sarcophagi or, or whatever you don't fully understand what it is the, there are these two women who work there who have some who are very funny but also have a kind of dark role at the end and yes. are embedded maybe with the police or is it with the criminals you can't quite tell but you get the sense that you're just passing through a world that existed before the film and has a very long and established history so you're just it's as if you're visiting and you're not good no one's going to sit down and tell you like this is what happened exactly. yeah. And his ability to create that with such a sparse set too, because there's basically three or four yes. locations, yeah. kind of mid-century vibe to them. The performance art also has that vibe of something both ancient 
and futuristic. Very much so, yes. Um, and, you know, it also reminded me of like magic shows where a woman totally. is, you know, lying down on a table and a magician is like, you know, cutting them open exactly. or circus shows. I mean, it's drawing on so much, uh, such a tradition of performance and also, and, you know, freak shows uh, also. And then also imagining how some, uh, our future, which is already kind of here, might might inflect those. Totally. Um, yeah. It's it's funny. What you, that was That's such a good point. And it's it's like, um, not only just all those traditions that this performance draws from, but it's funny because watching the movie a second time, it felt more expository the second time. It's weird. And I think that's all, that's mm. just more my mind because it's like, I understand the world now because the first time you are just completely dropped in. Right. Like, what is going on in this movie? And then, and it, but it doesn't feel, you know, there's, there's, there's world building in the film, but Cronenberg is very deft about that. I mean, there are times when it does feel, you know, the movie is, there is a talkiness to the film and there's lots of just philosophical discussions and, and discussions about the morality yeah. of what is happening and what they're doing. But he finds ways to give you information in this way that's very, yeah, it's like, sometimes it feels like it's, it feels explainery, but also it, sometimes it just feels very droll and tossed off and that's why it's very funny. And just like, I think, one of the first lines in the movie is like Leah Sidhu says, or or no, maybe it's Viggo Mortensen. I can't remember. He said like, I think this bed needs new software. And it's just, like, it's just like, and you're like, wait, what? And it's like, oh, okay, the bed, which is this bed that is like looks like you know something. Like, it's just got like these. It's this suspended in midair bed that aligns itself and moves around to accommodate Vigo's bodily pain because pain he centers, does because yeah. even though he most people cannot feel, feel pain he can still feel pain right he still and that is because he is also my god once you get started describing this movie <laughs> just it just takes you all it's just i can't all the so much for coherent linear plot synopsis but he his body is like is producing these superfluous organs which is basically like it's kind of a metastatic cancer basically right but because she is like removing them and tattooing them and removing them she's basically keeping him alive and so it's just yeah so and there even in what you just said there's so much and there are so many like thesis statements just thrown yes. into the film you know just some kind of critical studies media studies body studies thesis statements so the tattooing of the organs whether that counts as art whether that counts as bureaucracy what relationship that has to meaning making uh you know this the whether he's growing those those organs out of free will or you know or is it a cancer and all these questions are raised discussed not necessarily belabored. Yeah. So brought up and then, you know, they go away. Again, something that at first struck me as, you know, undercooked, but now just feels like the film is jostling with ideas. And I don't mind that. I don't mind that at all because they're such exciting ideas too. And some of them don't completely make sense to me yet. Like um, there's at one point, Kristen Stewart is the one who says uh, surgery is the new sex. And later, um, Viggo Mortensen misquotes her and says, sex is the new surgery. And Caprice, Leia Seydoux's character, corrects him. <laughs> no, no, no. You said it the other way around. And I have been thinking about that for weeks just since I saw... Them, I'm just yeah. like, what What does one mean versus, versus the other? The other yeah. you know? Why and they make the point to include that? Exactly. Yeah. And it's full of these little things that you can just lose yourself in very pleasurably. Mm -hmm. You know? It's, it's a very pleasurable movie and... And I think that the thing about Cronenberg that I'm always impressed by is his economy. Mm. And so we're talking about what feels like the, the sparseness or the spareness of the, of the script, um, despite 
and that's what makes it feel so rich is because so much is distilled and the movie does feel like maybe it ends a beat or a few beats too soon. And I think this is a very, I, I'm hard pressed to think of examples, but I feel like that is a, just in my mind, it feels like a, an essentially Cronenbergian <laughs> thing to leave you wanting more and to leave, to kind of pull back from maybe the logical sort of ending or climax to what this, this is all panning out to because and it's interesting because I, I I couldn't help but think about the movie in the context of some of the advanced hype, some of it fueled by Cronenberg mm. himself saying, oh, I'm actually curious to see how the premiere plays because saying that there would be walkouts and seeing that there would, be, there would be like shocking. In and the it's first like, five minutes, In the first said, five minutes yeah. and like saying that the last 20 minutes are like really hard to watch. And you know, there, there's some, yeah, there's some gooey stuff. It's, it's not that hard to watch. It's not. It's okay, not, look, yeah. I am extremely yeah. sensitive to me gore. Too. And so I went in terrified. You Completely. Know, I, the trailer me scared me so much. <laughs> I went in like prepared to watch it I'm covering my finger eyes cam. with my exactly. yeah, yes. finger cam exactly. <laughs> and honestly the worst stuff is in the trailer the worst stuff is in the trailer and I think that's and I don't know I mean Cronenberg maybe he's he's playing his, his games a little bit <laughs> which is, is great and totally yeah. his, him his rights to do but I think it's because you know he his movies can you know he is a master of, of horror of, of body horror of, of science fiction and, and all these genres that we know and he always has been but he never does anything just for shock's sake. He never does anything gratuitous. And what I love about it is that despite the outre, grotesque, kinky, you know, trappings of what the movie is is about, it's this really talky, playful, intellectualized Cronenberg movie. And it's just, and it's yeah. supposed to be fun and it's it's a real pleasure to it and there's a real tenderness to it as well. And a little bit of screwball maybe. It's <laughs> Oh my god, just what Kristen Stewart is doing. Yeah. I mean, she's basically doing like a riff on a kind of Kristen Stewart character in a way. It's like but and she's just she's got this kind of very kind of pedantic passive aggressive kind of Right. Um, excuse me. She's playing like this investigator with this with this uh government branch that like handles organ registration and she's just she and she kind of becomes like Vigo's like groupie kind of in a way because yeah. she starts going to his shows and she wants she's basically like it's coming like on to him. Kristen Stewart playing someone who's pathetic, <laughs> which she surprisingly does. Super she does well. well. No, and yeah. I love when she plays like assistant roles or bureaucratic roles. You know, it's yeah, very, yeah, she's yeah. very good at them. You know? Yeah, but yeah. Like I was saying, I watched Crash and I felt you know I, I when I first saw it you know years ago as like a teenager I was so enamored with it. Um, and now I thought that the ideas were maybe a little simple. I mean, it's still a great movie, but conceptually the ideas, you know, this death drive impulse, and there's this, um, there's a little bit of reference in that film to, I'm forgetting the character's name, the guy who is designing these car crashes, uh, it'll come to me. Uh, the character says, you know, that this is my art project, right? And he's, he's kind of trying to place this, uh, what is both some kind of techno-futurism and thrill-seeking, you know, edge-writing kind of impulse, some kind of freakish impulse, and also placing that within an artistic discourse. And this movie really brings that theme out so well. That's what I loved. Like, the discourse of art is articulated very consistently in this movie and really it raises so many questions about what art really is what pleasure really is how does art relate to pleasure and what kind like how much are we willing to give for art or pleasure I mean I, I just thought that those ideas were excellent it really they really are and I love that about the movie too and it's it it, it felt very much like a satire of the art world in some respects but also a very serious-minded Investigation, all those things you just said very, very well. It's just like, 
Um, and yeah, the fact that like, you know, Seydoux's character is just, and, and both of them, Vigo too, they're both just in it for their art. And this, this art, which ex- exacts a very, very intense toll on his, on his body and his health and the way they, you can hear the sirens behind us, the way they are timing even their shows in accordance with just what his body's up to. And it's like, I mean... And it, trying to come up with a morality, yeah. a code of morality for this brand of art as well, which, you know, yes. it would seem that code of morality seems emergent. So they, they're still trying to puzzle that out. To puzzle it out. And yeah. there's, it's also just, I mean, it's that element. And the movie is also like a neo-noir with this, you know, there's all this sort of these these layered sort of investigative procedural subplots going on that all of which Cronenberg, I think, compacts very elegantly into a barely two-hour film. And um, um, they're, one of the most interesting threads of the movie is this environmental thread, which is because there is this boy who is part of this group and I'll go into too much too much plot deal here but no, it's, I'm this, just thinking of a listener who hasn't seen the movie what, trying to piece like, what, it together based on what we're <laughs> if they're still saying. with us you yeah. know there is this there is this faction that basically has I'll put it I'll, I'll be discreet about it but yeah. has the ability to digest plastic yeah and which is very important because um as industrial waste is built up they there's this belief that we must start consuming our own waste in order mm. to prevent the planet from being overrun. And so, but there's a very potent idea here. And I think this is, I don't know if Cronenberg has explored this to this degree before. He probably has in some ways, but um, just this environmental decay and this, oh, he's always been so interested in in Crash, um, in in Existence and yeah. in, in Videodrome, just, you know, the the, the, the new flesh, the fusion of, of of the body and technology and flesh and metal and the way that the body and the mind just kind of naturally bend themselves to whatever technology is ruling the mm. day and just how dependent and adaptive we are to that technology. And so here it's like, well, what if, what if the world, you know, what if the planet is doomed and what does that do to our bodies? And what is our, how does our body bend itself to accommodate the products of our, you know, industrial waste basically well we're gonna have to start eating this eating this stuff basically and so there's just that whole element that figures into the plot in a really interesting way and that thread builds (laughs) up to the final shot which i won't describe but it took my breath away wow yeah that i I, somehow i haven't stopped thinking about that final shot i will just say that it is a very simple expression of pleasure and also of accepting your own body in a sense or accepting your body's evolution in a sense and it's just such a pure moment of I relief of ecstasy and it's Viggo Mortensen's face and it's almost like optimism in a way in a weird way after this and I'm glad not to cut you off but it's like no it's interesting to me because the collaboration between Viggo Mortensen and Cronenberg Almost all of them, definitely History of Violence, Eastern Promises, ends with a close-up on his face, if I remember. And that is, seems very, sorry, if that's a spoiler, I don't know if we're going to spoilers. Yeah. But, like, it seems like a very conscious decision on their parts because, and it's just so, it's just, this whole performance is such an interesting contrast with History of Violence and Eastern Promises in particular, where, and I know he also did, um, he was Freud in, in A Dangerous Method. Oh, right. Um, but this one, it's like, those movies where he is this, like, this superhuman strength, you know, he's a, he's a gangster in one of them and he's, well, he's a, he actually is a gangster in both of them, but, um, and he's this 
pillar of the strength of strength. And in this one, he is he is feeble and he is in pain, and he talks in this low, raspy voice that is really um, you really feel for him, and you he re- it's this real show of of weakness. And so that ending you're describing. Such- is, yeah, Such a random comparison that came yeah. to my mind, but Days, Simon Liang. <laughs> I love, oh God, yes. And I was thinking of really Lee Kang Sheng yes. and Viggo Mortensen. Like this, just the performance of pain exactly. is yeah. is not an easy task. I think you know conveying pain, which is something that is inconveyable to some extent. That's what like makes it so difficult. And then yes. within this narrative world where pain is not experienced and so you know how do you convey like what makes you unique and uniquely tormented i i just thought yeah everything that you just said about his body and his voice it it was just remarkably modulated yeah it really is but that's such a great comparison you bring now <laughs> and, and, and in li kangsheng's point uh this case, of course, it's it's. I mean, that movie is practically a doc. It's almost a documentary right. because that is his lived pain, and you know, Vigo is um, is is giving more of a you know more in more of an artificial performance. But yeah. it, but he's so good. I mean, everyone the cast is just is is uh, unsurprisingly pretty fantastic in this this movie, which um, which I like even more and more now. Just talking to you I about know, it, it's I'm like you know, were uncovering <laughs> things about it. It's like no, there's so much to it's yeah. like, and I. I've seen it twice now, and it's just it it just kind of flies by actually, which is weird considering how grueling a lot of it is. But it's funny, I think, and I think Cronenberg does play up the sensational, the bloody, kind of gory aspects of it because that's just it's just a, it's it's practically a MacGuffin. It's like it's the hook it almost. Really it's really or it's a, a Trojan horse rather, and it's like it, yeah. it's it's always the ideas that he it's is interested ideas, in. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, you know, we've actually talked about this movie for so long. I just realized like, <laughs> we eaten up all time. <laughs> Wait, this might have just been <laughs> become <laughs> a Crimes of the Future special. podcast, but let us, let's talk about some of the other sure, movies sure. Uh, we were yes. going to discuss. I mean, I think this is the movie everyone's going to be talking about by the time we're done. So yes. it's good that we got our take exactly. uh, out of the way. You're listening to the Film Comment podcast. Sign up today for the Film Comment Letter. It's a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com. But I know that we wanted to talk about a few more competition yeah. movies. Uh, another one that uh, both of us saw today and a, a highly anticipated one mm-hmm. is Decision to Leave by Park Chan-wook. We've both just seen it. So listeners, like, be kind. We had some Very time kind, to think about no. the Cronenberg. In, we really did. Yeah. And, and I have to say that I my thoughts on the Park Chan-wook movie, Decision to Leave, are are going to be at this point a little, uh, what's the word, a, a little provisional. Yeah. I like the film yeah. quite a bit. Um it's uh this was an 8:30 screening and I was not at my very I was not at peak power um this this during that especially in the in the second half and it's a lo- it's a it's a long kind of leisurely movie at yeah. like 2 hours and 20 minutes or so but it is such a pleasurable I think it in just in terms of I have to say this seeing that double bill, the Park Chan-wook and the Cronenberg, was, was a really potent double bill. Yeah, Two that's very, a lot. Very different films, but just in terms of just sheer kind of pleasure and in terms of like formal and aesthetic control, I think maybe maybe the most impressive and novelty. double bill of, absolutely, of, of, the fest, of the competition so far. And this is Park Chan-wook kind of at his, 
I really love a, what. Let me speak in more generalities rather than the plot. I mean, the movie mm. is a it's a murder mystery. Um, it's also a noir. We are not going to summarize. We're, we're this not. No, plot. there's that's just, just no. That's not happening. Point. Yeah. But it's like you know, there, there's <laughs> there's there's a woman in trouble there, and there's a there's a dead husband or two, and there's you know, and then the main character is this is this detective, and it's it's also in Korea, and much of the movie is set in a very in a in a more remote mountainous region of, of Korea, but. What I liked about this movie and what I what really grows on me about Park Chan Wook is that um you know, I, I've written about this a little bit and like a lot I think like a lot of people who were watching his stuff at Cannes early on when he first started coming to the festival with stuff like Old Boy and Thirst, I mean, I think that just the sensationalism and the violence for which he really made his his kind of genre reputation, um he's a he's a very good filmmaker. There's never been a yeah. doubt, but I found i i found there to be kind of a just a a cheapness a kind of joltiness a, a, to to those films that mm. i just did not was not really a big fan i think my my favorite of his movies was still joint security area jsa um because that one that is that doesn't have any of that those, that those gratuitous elements to me but i love recently i think that I hate to use the M word maturity, but it does. It's it's sometimes it's hard to avoid. I do feel that he has moved past that, and with the Handmaiden, which was at Cannes here six years ago, and I think that's a, that's a terrific movie. And now with this, there is just this confidence that he has with this filmmaker, where nothing is. Um, I mean, yes, there's still you know there's mystery and there's 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 twisty plotting and there's violence to it, but none of it feels like. Um, he's trying to do that just to get a, a shock out of you or a rise it's out sur- of you. Surprisingly subtle. It's quite subtle. It's just beautifully controlled filmmaking, and just the the way he takes what you know what maybe could be a more conventional kind of genre piece and brings all just these little this kind of formal concentration and invention to it, where you know the way he integrates technology into the film with the smartphones, which I think he does smarter and more smartly than a lot of filmmakers yeah. I've seen. And just there's just this visual sophistication. The movie's just absolutely gorgeous. To oh look yeah, at. and and the, I mean, we really must emphasize the visual sophistication. I feel because there is this kind of play with camera angles and um, and sort of blurring together different like spaces in a quasi-fantastical way or representing certain subconscious impulses in a way that bends space and time within the film. And it takes you a little while to get used to like the, his, the idiom that he's establishing here. He's like really creating an idiom for the film, a grammar for the film that, you know, it took me a few minutes to get used to and initially it just seems like all over the place, but then you kind of settle into the film's rhythms. And it just moves like a well-oiled machine that still surprises you. Like, that's what I love about it. It just feels so perfectly controlled. But there's still a gesture that'll come up every, you know, 10 minutes that'll just be like, oh, wow. And and then you're trying to wrap your head around that. And, I mean, this movie has a lot of Hitchcockian elements. It's very much this woman mysterious figure who for, you know, you're trying to guess if she's playing the guy and then how she's playing the guy. Is she... You know, is she a femme fatale or is she really a damsel in distress? And there's also the procedural element that, you know, he's he's really good at. Um, and like you were saying, so many textural details, like in this case, the woman is Chinese. She's a Chinese immigrant in Korea. And there's a lot of play with language. 
And I'm and there are some jokes that I think I heard people laughing, and I was like, I, I think something's escaping me. No, for sure. It's yeah. Like, and I was trying to it's someone who uh, you know <laughs> who is uh, you know who's Chinese, but has yeah. very does not speak the language well at all. I was trying to pick up on some of that, and she's played by the really terrific um, actress Tang Wei, whom people probably will remember from like Lust Caution, and she's 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 just she's wonderful. So good. Um, wow. Yeah. I think she's always been really great, but she's really just coming to full flower in this, and I think. Um, but yeah, even just the way that like some of her dialogue is translated using this kind of app on the phone. It's just, it's very, it's, it's funny too. And it stops. It's just so many times and this should be distracting, but it isn't, or maybe it's distracting in a good way. I just kept thinking about, oh, wow, he chose to visualize this this way. And it's exactly. just, there's just a yeah. freshness to it. And the way he, there, you, you were talking about this, this kind of bending of space and time and perspective in the movie where he will have a character who is sort of, there's a lot of spying and a lot of spycraft and a lot of, you know, monitoring because it's, you know, it's, it's lots of stakeouts. And there'll be times when he'll put the detective in the room kind of in a, in almost this sort of subliminal way to, to, as if to suggest the, that kind of voyeuristic act. And so just, you know, and it, it sounds gimmicky, but somehow it plays like a dream, you know, it, it just moves and moves and, um, and, and every yeah. small character has personality, has great lines. The, the world is very well built out. Um, and, you know, and there are these details, again, about the particular locations of the plot, Ipo and Busan, and, you know, the topography comes into play. I just, I was very impressed by just how carefully plotted it was. And, you know, there's so much just organic humor and and bits of romance and passion and social commentary. And none of it, you know, you don't feel like any of it has been shoehorned in or is making a point. There is that completeness of a vision comes through. And I mean, I, I think I'm still mulling over it, okay, but me too. I just had such a great time. <laughs> good time. I mean, I just, it was such a good time. I was on my toes the whole time. It's just fun. It's a really fun it's movie. It's so fun to watch With, in a big theater at Cannes. It really was. <laughs> no. And I kind of, um, I, I do want to see this again. Actually, I do want to see it while I'm here, especially while it's still fresh in my mind. Yeah. And while there's still details, I want to, replay yeah. and 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 actually get to because i'm i'm sure i nodded off for like five seconds of a thing. it's it's one of the things where i i you have that feeling at these screenings sometimes where you're not like it's not like people have to ask do you watch do you fall asleep at movies during can it's like yeah, everyone does of course yeah. we do especially especially if you're a jet-lagged american critic yeah. uh coming from la by the way nine hours time difference um <laughs> I, yeah i actually i also flew here from the west coast and so i, I oh, i've been reminding God. people that as well like it's look really it's bad. bad it was a long journey the thing is, you got to be strategic <laughs> about when you or which movies you fall You're asleep fall, in, yeah. and then request a link. <laughs> build it, build in nap times for yes. certain ones, you know. Yeah. And there's certain screening rooms that lend them because they're like lend themselves to nodding off. But no, yeah. and I was awake for most of this. But it's not like you're falling asleep for like an entire like hour long stretch. Yeah. No, but sometimes you're just missing like the the tenth second of every of every scene or something. And but that one tenth of a second or whatever it is really matters. You're yeah. like missing. You're just you're. It's like on a on a certain level, you're not. You're missing something, and and I think especially with this one where it is all in those details, and also just the way they come together. But um, that I can't know. I I definitely looking forward to seeing this one. Yeah, and thinking about this one and writing about this one again. So. Yeah. So that was uh, you started off very strong today uh, with these two. Good start. Yeah. Um, there's a movie that we've already discussed on the podcast, but I I know that you liked it. Uh, not f- a fun movie. No, no. <laughs> very sad and yes. grim. Yeah. Uh, it is a movie that I fell asleep for like two minutes in. 
so what you were describing happened to me the thing is the movie is mysterious enough that i wondered if i had missed you some missed, hugely yeah. crucial piece of information and the friend i was sitting with filled me in and i still wasn't demystified anyway the movie is rmn mm-hmm. christian menju uh we've actually been talking about it quite a bit because yeah. there was an industry podcast today with um i the head of ifc ariana boko and uh they were talking about you know their relationship with menju and it mm-hmm. does seem like a lot of people are talking about him and i'm curious to see what the fate of that movie is me too yeah. i mean and i know that I, i i gather that i'm i think i like this movie more than maybe you and and others and a lot yeah, of people do yeah i think so yeah but it's funny and i i i'm i'm always have a lot of time and interest in 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 munju and i mean he's a great filmmaker but um i <laughs> and i i still feel like i feel like all opinions in can should be provisional so um just give us give us some time but to process but that's so the, it's, I, yeah but so what about that bible that you swore oh god that's right when I we did. began you really remember did. that right well it's i i do remember it oh damn it um but you know i but i what i would say is that i think i like this one of his the best since like four months three weeks and two days yeah. his, Every, his i think everyone agrees on agrees that agrees on that well, yeah, yeah, I, mean, yeah. I like i like the last one too i like graduation yeah. but this one i agree has its problems has its messiness but because it's such an expansive portrait of a community and um that you know it's funny cuz i i and that could be hard it could be hard for him because i think what was so great about four months and what everyone associates with with him as a filmmaker and also with a lot of movies about with in terms of new romanian cinema is that kind of pressure cooker realism tension that he builds and here it's different you know it's more spread out this his his sympathies and his his storytelling is more is more dispersed across a wide range of characters so so you don't get quite that pressure cooker kind of single-mindedness that was so riveting in 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 his earlier films but um but i felt i mean it it builds to this amazing sequence and i know a movie is more than just one sequence but this like 15 or 17 minute long take which is this town hall meeting and i do feel like everything just coalesces in that movie mm. when you just see the movie and i know i know i think to anticipate some of the the criticisms i think a lot of people people maybe find the movie a little simplistic in terms of what it is saying about the racism of this um the small romanian transylvanian village but um But I don't know. I mean, given just what we've been through the in the past years, right now. <laughs> it, what the world is going through right now, I, yeah. I'm sort of I I can tolerate a little. I, I don't think it's I don't think it's unnuanced either. I think yeah. that particular scene is really well modulated in terms of the tension and, and in terms of the viewpoints being expressed, and then in terms of the main character who is sort of the lone person who kind of takes an admirable stance against the racism and the xenophobia of the town. But even she has certain blinders about things too. Mm. But I just felt like it was just he can really do this better than a lot of people this kind of x-ray um sort of sociological x-ray of of a community and I just found it I just found that really really powerful and there is there are a lot of loose ends to this movie and baggy things and I kind of like that about it because I feel that he is sort of um allowing things to just be a little mm. bit and I think every person I've talked about this movie the first question is like what the hell went on at the ending it's yes. very ambiguous we had i don't know Devika. i mean that. i yeah. want to listen to your conversation because i there were no answers in that conversation i mean i think there's some really interesting possibilities and some one are more... friend had a galaxy <laughs> brain take <laughs> God, which I I can't explain it on the, on the <laughs> podcast because I guess it constitutes a, a spoiler. A spoiler. Yeah, yeah. But it had let me just say it had this take was that 
you know, the woman, Chilla, who the protagonist is is in love with, the, it's uh, his ex-lover, that she is raising certain animals, I'll, I'll say certain animals to keep it a bit euphemistic, uh, in her backyard. And that's why she plays the violin to put them to sleep or oh. something. And I was like, if that's the level of take that people are coming up with <laughs> to explain this movie, that means none of us know what's going on. Nobody has a, has a freaking clue. No, it's, I mean, yeah. And it does feel more than Munju's past films i mean his movies do tend to end in sort of interesting ways mm. sometimes very i mean most almost entirely downbeat because he doesn't make downbeat films but sometimes very mysterious perplexing ways i think his endings are always sometimes the most frustrating and also the most interesting parts of his movies so it's interesting the note that he chooses to end on but it is the prognosis for the world is not no, not, is good. not good. I mean, <laughs> I, it's, I think that scene, that set piece is maybe going to be the polarizing thing, yeah. not the ending, you know? Uh, be- Interesting. I, that's my uh, hunch. Oh, yeah. Because I found it off-putting, but not, not yeah. immediately. Like, I, yeah. I, like, it did make me go back and forth. And the, the whole movie did, actually. And, Interesting, yeah. You know, what you're saying, like, I found it... Again, I, I agree with you that it's less schematic than the earlier films. That it, yeah. it's not single-minded. It just has more room to breathe, more little stories to interact. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I couldn't decide if I liked that or that took yeah. the sting away from some of the interesting parts of the film. Yeah. And I don't know if I've still made up my mind, but sure. you know, I just I felt like some of the personal uh, storylines involving the romance or romances or, you know, with his ex-wife and ex-lover, his kid who sees some visions, uh, and then this, the the Sri Lankan immigrants and their plight. At first, it seemed very exciting that all of this was taking place together in this microcosm-like place. But then by the end, I just wondered if some things had gotten lost yes. and that had taken away the, you know, the power of the storytelling. I know what you mean. Yeah, it's like there's there are definitely things you you want to know what happened there. And then there are, even in terms of how those romantic rivalries in some cases are sort of resolved, they're not really, or they're just, I definitely, you know, you feel like you've, you're missing. Yeah, it just, it's, it's it, ragged a little. It dissipates a little bit. And, you know, yeah. uh, someone just told me today that the... Uh, the town hall scene is the best 15 minutes they've seen at Cannes. You know, and then there are other people, including me, who (laughs) think that that actually is like overplayed and obvious. So it's going to be interesting to see how people talk about that scene. I mean, I will say, I said this on the last podcast as well, that I found that scene very informative at the very least. And that is something that is valuable uh, today. You know, Um, it, it did throw into relief a lot of things about that part of the world that, I didn't know in a in an engaging narrative way, but yeah, I'm not sure if it if it's good or if That's it's interesting too teacherly. Because, yeah. You know, it's, no, I know what you mean. It's like yeah. funny, and I you, I try to you know you try not to be too. I think long takes you know something you know a formal device that is um, you know very easy to be impressed by. I don't mind admitting at all, and especially and it's something that in Romanian cinema, especially, yeah. I think they've really made that a thing, and it's the thing that is just really. You're just drawing out this tension. You're wondering, oh my god, how long is this going to go on? Yeah. Oh my god, which which you think, you know, for some it's distracting and it takes you out of it and it feels very perform not performative, but very very showy and very aware of itself. And then, but at the same time, I don't know. I was able to kind of really be emotionally and sort of engaged in terms of all the different 
like all the different ways to express racism in that scene are just like they're just there Ugh. and yet it just it just yeah. keeps sustaining and you are aware of like oh my god how long is this shot gonna go mm. how long is it gonna go but it's it becomes this kind of it becomes exciting you know in a way mm. um and then when it ends you almost you just breathe this like <sighs> you know it's like yeah. wow but it's um, difficult it's difficult to to listen to and watch um but yeah, I mean, let's see. I'm I'm very curious about the fate of this film, the awards. It just uh, Munju I'm, has, you know, he has not ever left Cannes competition without an award. Yeah. You know, I mean, four months won the Palm, uh, Beyond the Hills won like the Actress Prize and screenplay mm. and graduation. If I get this right, won Best Director. So it's like, what could he win now? He, yeah, he could win the Grand Prix. It's like if 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 indeed he's going to win something, which is not set in stone, but I think. He makes movies that are liked by juries and respected. Right. They have this weight to them. They're impressive. And I think that... Often end up being timely. I think very, not necessarily by design. <laughs> you know, like this is very timely right now. It really yeah. is. And I think that that, you know, juries, you can never predict. But I think that that kind of brand of, of very topical kind of social realism appeals to juries naturally. Yeah. And so I would be... Given this, you know, Hannah, I'm a little more than halfway through the competition, I'd be surprised if it didn't get something. something but yeah. um, but in terms of how it'll play in, in the larger scope of his career, I mean, I think his movies are always a, a tough sell for even for art house audiences. Yeah. This movie, which has a very kind of uh, enigmatic title and some something just a bad title even. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if that'll, I don't know if that'll change or anything. I mean, I think it's interesting, but uh, but I... I'm not a movie marketer. So. Yeah, those are our two cents for all you can betters out there. Take it or leave it. Um, I think maybe we can talk about one more movie. Yes. It's getting late. I don't <laughs> want to keep you too long. No Both probably have 8.30 a.m. screenings to go to. Yes. Just wanted to talk about one more competition movie that we both yeah. saw, Holy Spider. Yeah. Um by Ali Abbasi, who is, I believe, an uh, Iranian filmmaker who is based in Sweden. Yes. His last film was Border, uh, which not a perfect film by any means, no. but one that I actually enjoyed quite a bit. I wrote about it mm -hmm. and uh, there were, I had some issues with it. It was a little bit sensationalist, which is a problem I have with the new film as well. And mm -hmm. there's some, you know, shock value stuff going on in Border as well. But that one was really original in just its concept. It was this sort of sci-fi sort of queer romance totally. um and that that made you uncomfortable in ways that i felt were very you know revealing this is a much more straightforward movie uh based on the real life story of a serial killer in tehran known as the spider killer who went around killing sex workers uh, on the streets in this sort of mission to cleanse society of corruption and corrupt women and I don't, uh, yeah, I don't know what you thought, Justin. For me, first of all, it went on and on. I mean, it just felt very long. And it was very grim, which, of course, you expect course. from a movie like this, but in a way that felt a bit gratuitous after a point. And there was this thing of the movie trying to do both. It's, it's trying to do like a Zodiac because there is a mm. journalist who, a woman journalist who is investigating, trying to find the spider killer. And through her, we kind of get a glimpse of the sort of male indifference, I guess, to this particular series of murders and yes. general societal indifference because of the stigma against uh, sex workers and in general misogyny. Yeah. And then it's also trying to do the whole giving us the uh, in you know interiority of a psychopath kind of thing and this guy's particular religious co convictions and um 
and fetishization that he's maybe not admitting to himself. And I think it just kind of goes between the two in a not very consistent way, yeah. right? I, I would agree. I mean, it, the movie... The movie did hold me. I was, yeah. you know, I was, you know, I was with it, even as I was constantly questioning a lot of those choices that, you know, it's, and I, I think that a lot of people have, you know, they just don't want to see women being brutalized, uh, you know, anymore in movies. And I completely understand that. And yet it's, it's hard, like the mo- the story that it's telling is, is, is a worthwhile one. And so how do you tell the story in a way I'm not even, I'm not actually trying to ask a leading question. I'm actually yeah. asking, how would you tell the story and how, you know, when, how much emphasis do you actually place? How much do you show? How much do you depict the the murders? Yeah. And it's like this, if this were taking, I mean, it's interesting, the, the, the Fincher comparison because this is, there is the Zodiac thing, there's the Seven thing and how yeah. grisly, and, and I think we think about now, it's interesting too because this movie is set, you know, it, this, these murders happened in early 2000s and yeah. so it's like around the time of like 9-11 is when the movie actually opens and the movie is, you know, I think playing a little bit with some of the facts. It's not a, it's not a direct, right. um, you know, uh, uh, it's, I don't know how faithful it is but I think there's been some liberties. But um, it, it, even just the serial killer thriller itself which is which i always think of especially fincher's movie it's a very 90s thing mm-hmm. and so this is kind of like okay so it's it's novel to see this in the context of an iranian film and i don't know if it's like is that useful is that worthwhile because this story i mean i'm I'm glad i know about this story for sure but yeah i mean people have pointed out these scenes are hard to sit through i mean i don't think they're the hardest things to sit through i've ever seen but it's like they are hard enough i think it's hard because they are repeated many times. And, and again, maybe that's a very simple reaction on my part, but it does happen again and again and again. And at some point, this is what I was trying to, I think, articulate earlier. It, The movie is spending so much time trying to give us this fetishistic picture of this, you know, crazy guy and, and you know, his fucked up beliefs and his convictions that... I started to think of, I started to feel a little, that it was a little obscene, you know, that it almost felt like the movie was exulting or indulging a little bit in that, which a lot of serial killer movies do, you know, they really indulge in the psychopathology or or, or mania of the killer. And here it's happening at the expense of these spectacles of violence. Um, I mean, I'm trying not to be moralistic and it's hard to, sure. you know, how no, do I no. explain my gut reaction and how yeah. do I frame it uh, in in some kind of like argument? I'm not really sure. But it just, after a while I was like, okay, I, I get the point, you know, I get that. Yeah, I just wasn't sure what it was trying to do. And the thing that bothered me even more was that the film's actual depiction of sex work is really limited mm-hmm. and its arguments in favor or like against the man and in favor of the victims are not very well, well drawn the, out. And well, instead, yes. there yeah. is a, l- a lot of time devoted to showing how everyone in society supports him and thinks these women are awful, addicts, corrupt. Which we are meant to be appalled by, of course. But, and that is, I think what it builds to in that third act we're getting is is probably the part of the movie I liked the most in part because it was a relief from the from the yeah. violence because by that point he is um you know well spo- I don't know spoil it's it's based on a true story but it's you know but yeah. let's just say that it, the movie enters a different phase yeah. and it becomes about society's response 
to this killer who is widely celebrated and it's right. chilling and it's meant to be chilling. But you're right. I mean, there is – I sometimes wonder about this because then it sort of plays a bit like a Rorschach blot in some ways. I mean, are there – to an audience, will they see that? I mean, I'm horrified by it. You're horrified by it. Yeah. But is there are, are some people watching this and who agree with it because because especially if the depiction of sex work is not as nuanced – as sympathetic as we would expect and because of whatever the views that we bring to a movie we're, yeah. just, we're just sympathetic to those cases although I did find it interesting I mean this is where you know because you think about sex work and the difficulties of that in, in any world but especially in Iran where um, where where you know in this and it's it's also in the holy city of of, of Mashhad I believe is yeah. like it's a very so there's, it's, it's, they keep referring to that and so it's even more like this emphasis on this stark divide between the religious and, and, and the secular and I, the way that um, the women just they, they there's something about them that looks just especially beaten down, and the way they they're like you know she's changing her shoes because you know from, because you can't just you know it's almost like they have to put they have to wear this outer garb of respectability and then they have to put it aside, and it's just this the the extra amount of just like. It almost just feels like the society that they're in has has just, you know, oppressed them even one step further right. than they would be in a you know in a in a society that was more tolerant right. of the work that they do. And that's why I I was actually taken with the opening of the film because yeah. the opening shows in pretty graphic, pretty graphically, a sex worker's kind of experiences with a few clients. And there is, I think, to especially to non-Iranian, non-Muslim, or Western viewers. There will be a kind of shock of seeing a woman in a burqa or in a hijab in in that sort of, you know, situation depicted on screen. And um, and I think that that is a powerful opening because it, it is kind of showing, you know, what it's showing is not that women do this, but there are men who want this, right? Like it's showing that there is a market for yes, this absolutely. in every society you can imagine. So what does that say about, you know, all our, our little beliefs? And so I really like that. But then the end of the movie, you know, the fact that the, it gives so much time to the faction of people who think that this is, you know, what he did was right and was a, 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 a dutiful crusade. But where are the people who think that what he did was wrong other than like a few, you know, this reporter and even that reporter never really voices why. She doesn't voice it. No, it's like you're sort of meant to just and assume I, from a lot of her own, her own kind of you know as a as a smart independent minded you know woman who's faced dealt with a lot of misogyny in her right. own life but, but there's never that is, yeah she is respectable like that's the other that's, thing yeah. she is a respectable educated woman and so i don't think she necessarily automatically functions right. as the spokesperson or surrogate for these other women right. and i maybe this is like me being idealistic about the world but i can like never believe that there are no voices of resistance right like i'm sure that there were some sex workers or some like feminists from that class who there were people who were, you know, who were speaking voicing. out in some way yeah. or however the movie would have. I don't know how the movie would have done this, but to to incorporate that. No, I know what you mean. I mean, it's just. Um, yeah, I don't know. I felt like I mean, that's a really interesting point because I was sort of overwhelmed by the finally kind of by the end, just by how. I mean, it, it really is horrifying, especially the final talk, you know, the ending in terms of what this kind of the, the when it goes into the killer's legacy and what yeah. he has left behind. And this this almost idea that there will be others to pick up where he left Copycats, off. Yeah. And it, it's and it's and it feels even more insidious in some ways than 
just a copycat criminal because because he realized that oh yeah just the misogyny that he embodies and just the um is really is just so pervasive and but i'm with you absolutely in terms of some of those early scenes in terms of being really you know quite shocking i mean and there's you know there's there's a blowjob scene in like a, in a car that's that's that is the most graphic thing i've ever seen in a in an iranian yeah. well, i mean it's not it's not a there's no iranian money in this of course yeah, yeah, it was yeah. shot in, in jordan but it's like in a depiction of iranian society right and i think that in itself is where you know and i don't want to make a great claim for this movie or anything yeah. which i don't think is great but I think if it has value, it is maybe even to shake up this kind of staid image that we sometimes have about Iranian stories um, and, you know, great Iranian cinema. But, you know, this and a lot of these are just, you know, maybe assumptions that I bring, not not being an expert in Iranian cinema myself. But the ones that tend to get play at festivals like Cannes are much more, you know subdued sedate yeah. you know humanist or just you know reflective and, and so they're also working yeah. with constraints within iran Absolutely. right of shooting where uh, everything's uh, being coded in some way right exactly. and how yes. ma- men and women can be in the same spaces together how they can be portrayed on screen so this film is really taking advantage of the fact that it's you know not an iranian film uh, in terms of the production Absolutely. yeah which brings me to maybe the most fascinating question which is what will can jury member Asghar Farhadi think of this movie? True. I just, sometimes I, yeah. I hadn't thought about this until just now. I, I forgot that he was on the jury. No, and yeah, you know, yeah, kind yeah. of, and he's sort of in an embattled state right now. And That's there's sort true. of been all this gossip about that. Which, um, but, but I'm just fascinated. What will he think of a movie that was, you know, um, that is so different from his own, obviously, and and was not shot in Iran. Yeah. And that, um, and does have, you know, for better or worse, has this kind of force to it that is very. I think it's a very blunt kind of force object of Macabre. a movie yeah. that um that we're just not used to seeing in Iranian movies. I'm just fascinated to hear if he yeah. I mean my I'm not not to put words in our in Farhadi's mouth or anything, <laughs> of course. Um but I my, my impression would be like my my gut says I don't think he'll think much of it. But I but I don't know. But uh, that is purely we'll speculative. Find, we'll find out. We will find out. Yeah. Maybe or maybe not. I don't know if it wins if it wins something. But yeah. <laughs> well I think that's a good note to end on. What yes. what will Oscar Farhadi do? <laughs> Let's end the night on this question. Uh, That is the question of the festival. Well, Justin, this was an absolute delight. Thank you so much for, you know, agreeing to just, once again, just sit in a corner of a dark hotel room past midnight and just talk about movies, (laughs) the pleasures of Cannes. Devika, I will podcast in a dark room with you any any uh. any night i hope it's not creepy <laughs> just know it's just really fun. it's actually not too bad it's actually there's a little light streaming we've got a little view of the beach it's not yeah too yeah bad. No, no it's it's yeah. actually pretty we nice we can see each other that's we good. can see each other uh <laughs> but yeah no this has been a pleasure and honestly talking about these movies with you i'm i'm sort of thinking of them in in different ways than i did before and hopefully our listeners will too so thank you and uh hope to have you back on the film comment podcast sometime and good luck with the rest of your fest thank you so much it's been a pleasure The Film Comment Podcast features original music by Greg Einge. Film Comment is a publication of film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism, publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, arthouse, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com.